internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. Jason, you've already hurt my feelings because uh, as soon as we started, you said nice to meet you, and you've been you've interviewed with me before, which oh, makes that's me, true, we did, yeah. Well, it makes me feel less than memorable. Uh, <laughs> oh no, no, uh, let me go. I got to go have a good cry in the other room, right? <laughs> Either that, or I'll just put my other foot in my mouth, and we can get this really going. <laughs> I wanted so badly for you to be talking to Erica because you haven't met Erica before, and then and then and then you said, "Oh yeah, nice, nice to meet you too, Erica." <laughs> I just rushed up from the gym. I think the blood's in my head. Forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> so how you been? Oh, you know, I've been good. Listen, you know, my dad used to say trees don't trees don't grow straight to the sky, you know, so we all have our little things, but you know, little health things. This and that. You get older. Wait till you see. You get to be my age. Your hair will turn gray and you'll have all kinds of things. But you know, it's okay. I'm balanced. I'm doing great. Oh, I already have parts of my body just stopped just ceasing to work anymore just for no oh, reason Jesus. at all oh yeah that's well listen you know you didn't need that toe anyway right <laughs> nothing like getting out of bed and like oh my knee's not working today what did i do to it i just you know slept i slept and now yep. my knee doesn't work mm-hmm. it's actually comedy over here because my pit bull freddie mercury sleeps on top like he sleeps under the blankets and he wants to be draped all over me so I'm I'm very happy with that arrangement because I live alone and I, I love cuddling with him. It's the best thing in the world. And so but it does cause me to wake up with, you know, aches and pains from sleeping yeah. on one spot while I'm in an awkward position because <laughs> yeah. I have to put an arm I have to put an arm somewhere. Yeah. And, like, yeah. <laughs> and then you're on this part of your hip. And I mean, well, so this sounds this really sounds like a we we should wait till we're all together in the old folks home. We'll have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, a couple things. One, I love that the dog's name is Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, and Thank you. totally relate. I have a German short haired pointer that sleeps in my my wife, much to my wife's chagrin. Listen, she's the one that wants the dog on the bed. But what she do- what she doesn't like is that the dog likes to sleep with me. So he spoons with me and literally puts his head on my <laughs> pillow and spoons with me with his feet pressed against her back mm-hmm. yeah that could be yep yeah that could be a mm-hmm. uh, contentious uh arrangement there you know i mean we have other things to talk about but i will say freddie doesn't he's not interested in the pillow he wants to be like a wolf in a cave under the blankets entirely submerged and totally blankets. under him sometimes upside down sometimes right side up uh sometimes facing that way sometimes facing this way i do believe that i burn calories in my sleep though because it is a, a, a constant motion exercise because right? as you know when he rolls over and then his paws are like scratching you and it's like you know i gotta take a little but anyway i, I wouldn't trade it for the world he's such a good boy that's awesome you have a pit bull too don't you erica no, a bulldog. I was going to say he's a little bit more compact in size, but he's a bulldog. So Which kind? English? English, yes. I, I, so my, my other dog is an English bulldog. Oh, great. Awesome. Yes, he's the best, but he definitely snores and he definitely burps and farts a lot. So <laughs> we what, occasionally what? give him the privilege of sleeping in our bed. <laughs> what? What's his name? Rocco. Of course it is. Yeah. Yes. So mine, mine just got a, a, a checkup. She's 10 and a half. Oh, good. Her name's Lu- her name's Lulu. Um, she Aww. took this iconic picture today, by the way. 
Let me just show you this Love picture it. she took, to, I she took today. Wait a minute. She took this she iconic. Post this on Instagram. How, how's, how's that? Oh, <laughs> that is amazing. For, for people listening, the dog that is. is a... Lulu is Lulu is taking a, a giant grumper right next to an NYPD car. Oh, my gosh. Right in front of an NYPD. That is um, perfect. Now, now, on the other hand, she's also the subject of a hit children's book that I wrote with my daughter. So that's very exciting. And this is the, this is the book. And then we can get on to things that we are actually scheduled to talk about. But best. I love talking to you guys. I could talk to you about anything. I talk about the weather. Yeah, we go um, way back, you and me. Dogs are the best <laughs> and do, frequently become a topic of conversation on this so, show. So here's the, uh, <laughs> here's the little book. Oh, oh, there she is. There's Lulu. That is adorable. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to buy that for my nephews. So yeah, tell me Lulu about is rhinoceros. Yeah, what's that? Yes. So tell me about that. I mean, our first segment is just kind of getting to know you. So I, 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 I is that new? Because I don't think I remember the children's book being a thing last time we spoke. So the book was published in uh, twenty eighteen, or it wasn't published in twenty eighteen because nobody wanted to publish it. So we published it ourselves, and uh-huh. it became a hit. Um, you know, it was um, featured on the <laughs> Ellen Show. Oh, sorry. There's Freddie making his stuff. <laughs> um, it was featured on the Ellen Show on Dr. Phil Scholastic, um, put it in the schools. Um, you know, it's a very timely subject. And I think the dog barking actually adds something to this conversation. Know, yeah, it really does. Um, <laughs> Perfect timing. Normally people would be like, hey, can you do something about the dog? Um, but you guys are dog friendly. The we dog friendly podcast. I love it. So, um, so it's so funny what you said, Erica, because it really rang a bell with me. Because whenever I do readings with my daughter, my daughter and I wrote it together. And our idea was if we could create a little hero for kids who feel left out, put down, or bullied because the way they look, the way they feel, oh, yeah. or the way they are, let's do that. And so we did. And, you know, the when we do readings, I say, you know, I, I tell the story of how the origin story, which is that I was in Africa uh, where I work with an organization called VetPaw, which is Veterans Empowered to Protect African Wildlife. And their mission is to save the rhinos, um, among other things. But that's their, their central focus is on saving the rhinos. So I got to, uh, now it's me talking to the kids as if you two were in the audience of kids. So, <laughs> you got um, me hooked. I'm real. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I got to be up close and personal with these, you know, living dinosaurs, right, who've existed on this earth for 50 million years and never had to evolve because they have no enemies. Uh, now, now humans, now they're on the verge of extinction because of human Eastern superstition and human greed. And so, but I got to hug and kiss and pet a rhino and, you know, like they're just like giant dogs. They're so incredible. So I came back home and I'm sitting on the couch with Lulu, my bulldog. And I was telling her about my trip (laughs) and she looks me right in the eye and says, well, I'm rhinoceros too. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're obviously a dog. You're small and furry and you're on my couch. And she looks me back in the eye and says, can't you see? I have short legs, a big body and a flat head. (laughs) <laughs> I only run fast for short distances and I'm clumsy and I burp and snore and fart like a rhino. I'm a rhino. So yeah. that's what gave me the it. idea. Well, you know what? Let's tell the story. And like I said, let's create this little hero. And it's been really, really gratifying to see the feedback that we've gotten from parents of kids who are, you know, dealing with the challenges of youth. I mean, it could be anything, right? Autism, the autism community has really embraced the book mm-hmm. and others, other, um, other kids who just feel differently somehow, you know, mm-hmm. um, have found that this is something that, you know, touches them. And so, you know, that's really, it, it's an, it, every one of those notes I've saved and they're so, you know, they just really touch my heart to see that, we, that our little, 
our little creation has had that sort of impact. It's wonderful. Yeah, I'll have to definitely pick that up. Is that sold at Barnes and Noble by chance? Because I'll have to pick a copy up for my nephews. I think they're out. I just checked and they're out. Um, Amazon still has some. um, Okay. You know, Amazon is, you know, it's Amazon, yeah. but nonetheless, yeah. right. <laughs> I think that's the place <laughs> gotta to do go what to you got to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, and the other thing you can do is you can text me your address and the names of the nephews and I'll sign a book and send it to them. And they oh, you don't have to do that. That would yeah. be, that'd be very nice. Yeah, we can do that. Yes. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to pick up a copy for his. I have a 12 year old who's, who's I, I don't know what the age group it's, you know, kind of. Yeah, he's too old for it. He doesn't want to design it for I think the message is it's hard as, as, yeah. as a parent to, teach those kinds of things especially if you you know I'm, i live in you know in rural michigan so i'm like the rural midwest area so it's very difficult to find ways to teach your kids to be acceptant of other people and and you know all the different walks of life so we can make a thing out of it he's a little behind in reading so he'll, <laughs> he'll be perfect for him. <laughs> uh, yeah we'll join the club <laughs> um Man, I got to tell you, Jason, I, for, for those of you that, that don't know, everybody knows. But for those of you that don't know, uh, Jason is one of the founding members of the Innocence Project, the the national organization, the Innocence Project. But you're, what, I, what I love about you is that, you, that you're kind of a man after my own heart because you are an outsider to the system working – to try to fight and make change, which is what I've kind of dedicated my my work to do. The same, you know, I, I I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a cop, I'm not a judge. I have no, I have no, I'm always working outside of my lane to try to affect change there. And and you've you've made made it a huge part of your life to do the same. Yeah, and um, just to be, I always like to make this super crystal clear. I am uh, the founding board member of the Innocence Project. Not the sometimes people confuse that with the founders. The founders are Barry Sheck and Peter Newfeld, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I study at their feet, you know, and I worship at their altar, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but it's been a, it's been an incredible honor for me to serve on the board there for over twenty five years now, and to and to be you know deeply involved with the work and the mission, and like you. Um, you know, for me, it doesn't stop when the microphone goes off. It doesn't stop when the board meeting ends. It doesn't stop ever. It's like, it's something that once you get your first taste of what it feels like to help extricate somebody, as you know, well, Bob, from Mm -hmm. the system, um, you know, to, to literally restore that person to freedom or to be a part of a team that restores that person to freedom because it's always a team. It is unlike any other high that I think we as humans can experience. I mean, there are a lot of great things people do for other people. This one I'm especially addicted to or obsessed with because if you don't do it, nobody else likely will because the sheer number of wrongfully convicted people in prison in America is by conservative estimates around 100,000. That's a hundred thousand people yeah. that are right, yeah, right now. While you and and I and are sitting here having this chat, they're sitting in a in a cold steel, you know, and concrete cage. Cage, just call it what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, and 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 I didn't mean to leave you out of that either, Erica. So the three of us are 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 here just having this nice chat, drink some water, you can go in the other room if you want, you know, go get a snack. Mm-hmm. We do it. We have freedom, and we take it for granted. But for these people who didn't do anything wrong, it's it's that's not their reality. It may never be their reality unless someone is able to make enough noise 
to bring the attention that they need and deserve. And even then the wheels turn slowly, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, and how cool is it that this weird medium, this podcasting medium where, you know, back in the mid 2000s, people started figuring out that you could just, you know, any old person could grab a microphone in an internet connection and make a podcast has changed the course of how our criminal justice. I mean, just today, just a couple hours ago before I came in here, I just saw that uh, the Supreme Court in Georgia, I believe, just uh, just affirmed Joey Watkins' uh, overturned conviction, which was a direct result of work that was done by the Undisclosed podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then of course we all know about Anand Syed. I mean, it's it's all the time now. There's all there's so many of us that are out there just punching away at this system, and we're just slowly but surely starting to see results from it. Yeah, that's the that's the offshoot of undisclosed, right? That's proof, I think. That well, no, this is another. So there is also uh, Susan's new podcast, Proof, just got a conviction overturned like two, two days ago. Two of them, I think, right? The two guys. Yeah, the two guys. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I don't. The names are escaping me, but that just happened like Friday. Or, yeah, you know, last some, week sometime. Sometime yeah. last week, and then just today, the you know Joey Watkins conviction. Um, so he had it. The conviction was overturned at the district court level, I believe, and then of course the state appealed it to the state supreme court. And just today, the state supreme court ruled that they're affirming that his conviction should be overturned. And it's still such as the, the wheels of justice are so slow. Susan found mm-hmm. the information that they overturned that conviction with six years ago, mm-hmm. and he's still locked up and still going. And even now, he's got to go back to the county jail, and the prosecutor swear, and they're going to try him again. Yeah, look at, I mean, you know, I did an episode of my podcast, Wrongful Conviction, with a guy named Tony Wright, a Philadelphia case. And that case was featured in Rolling Stone magazine. And I'll never forget, Tony was convicted in the 90s, mid-90s. <clears throat> he was framed by cops because they didn't like him because when he was 16, he had had an altercation with an officer and mm-hmm. they felt he hadn't been punished severely enough for that. So when he was 20 and doing well and working and raising a family, they framed him for the rape and murder of a very elderly woman who he couldn't possibly have committed, but didn't matter. It was Philadelphia. And you know, they beat him up in the police station, all the rest, right? And so, and they framed him. Um, so egregiously that it's actually would be funny if it wasn't so sick. And I'll never forget because that article about Tony and Rolling Stone had a pull quote that said, in the 1990s, a black man had a better chance of getting justice in Philadelphia, Mississippi than in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And mm-hmm. what does that say? But what I was, but the main point of that story was, so like I said, I featured Tony's case, which is really a great one. To, if you're going to listen to Wrongful Conviction, you want to start with one episode, it's a great one to start with. Um, it took eight or 10 years after you know, they fought, they fought the DNA testing for eight years. And mm-hmm. then after the DNA testing, like, like, let's just pause there for a second, right? He had been in for 14. The Innocence Project took the case. And the state fought against getting the DNA tested. Mm-hmm. So, like, what, 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 cue Jack Nicholson, right? You can't handle the truth. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's like, so the DNA got tested, proved that he was abundantly innocent, as he had said all along. And t- it took two and a half more years to get him out after the DNA proved he was innocent, after they fought the DNA testing for eight years. So, yeah, it's, you know, even in the best case scenario, it's terrible, but it's a lot worse unless people like you and Erica and Lauren Bright Pacheco and, you know, um, uh, uh, all these other uh, um, Rabia Chaudhry. I mean, so many people that are doing great work in this area who I really look up to, you know, yourself included. 
Yeah, it's 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 so frustrating sometimes. And and the and this new podcast in case we're going to talk about it here in a minute is just this. I was still like to the minute I walked in here was still binging. I'm in the middle of the last episode. And I was like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Try to Wh- which one? Uh, uh, Bone Valley. Uh, oh, Bone Valley. Great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah, it's so for you know, I have, I have a case where a guy was convicted, our season three case on truth and justice. Guy was convicted on one sole piece of evidence, and that was his brother, eight years after the fact, after giving statements otherwise, who was threatened by the police and told that his DNA was on the scene, said under oath that he witnessed his brother murder this woman. That's literally the only evidence there was in the case. He recanted live on recorded on my podcast, re- recanted and admitted he lied. That got sent to the conviction of the Innocence Project of Texas, the the Conviction Integrity Unit in Dallas, and uh, they his name is Jesse Eldridge. Um, they gave him they gave the his brother polygraphs to make sure he was telling the truth. Everything checked out. That was three years ago. I don't know what's going on now. I just keep hearing the CIU's dragging their feet, but it's you know three years he's sitting in there when they they've been sitting on the evidence that should have sent him home a long time ago. It's just it's just such a slow, slow, slow process. Well, and you yeah. even have some cases where like, or at least I feel like I've seen a lot of cases where they have some new evidence like DNA or something that's very, you know, strong evidence that this person is innocent and they still somehow try to twist it to say, no, they, you know, maybe they had an accomplice, but no, they were still guilty of this crime despite the fact that there's a DNA evidence or something like that clearly showing somebody else was involved. It just, the, you know kind of mind-blowing the, the willingness that the state sometimes has to ign- just blatantly ignore that and keep somebody in prison. Yeah, yeah there was that that horrible case in Chicago. Um, the Was it the Groveland Four? Um, it's something four. Um, we have to look it up. But these four kids, young teenage boys, black kids, were convicted of raping and murdering a woman whose body was found in a field. And then when the DNA came back and proved that it was none of them, it was a single perpetrator and it was a guy who was a serial offender, right? And the -hmm. state said, well, okay, so you've proven that that's the guy whose DNA was, you know, found sperm and the whole thing. So they were like, so our new theory is that these four kids raped and murdered her, but then left her in the field. And then this guy just happens to be a necrophiliac who just happened to be walking through the field. And then he, I mean, sorry to be disgusting here, but they, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Right. Well, it's disgusting on a number of levels there. Yeah, I mean, yes, exactly. Thanks, yeah. Bob. Right. But yeah. Then, then this guy had sex with the corpse. That's actually what the theory was in Tony's case, too, after the, uh, that, 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 that seems to be a <laughs> thing that he, that's like a, a go-to, like a, the sex with the corpse theory. It's like, Jesus Christ, what are we talking about? But yes. It's so frustrating how, like, I don't know what happens to a prosecutor that puts him in that place. Where they're just so, it, but you know what? I see it. We're going through some of the case I'm working on right now. I see it with the you know because our show is all about crowdsourcing, so I interact with. It's not like I'm just reading comments. I'm interacting with people that are trying to help with the case, but there's also people that are always trying to fight against us. That are just you know people that have nothing better to do with their time. I guess. Trolls. Yeah. yeah. But but so like in this case we're working now. It's a triple homicide from uh, out in California near Palm Springs. Where there's mom and dad are are shot to death inside of a house and the house is burned completely to the ground. They're they're just pieces of their body is all that's found inside. But the daughter, the 18-year-old daughter, is found outside in a wheelbarrow lit on fire. 
and and so she, so the only place they have to find any evidence is on her and the, these guys that, get, that end up getting convicted 10 years later you know there's of course this group that wants these guys to be guilty well we just revealed some new evidence about dna testing and it's it's shocking to watch so the the theory is because her body's in a wheelbarrow that they must have pushed her you know killed her way out in the desert because there's a track from the wheelbarrow up there where I think the mom was, you know, that was moving trees or something from back there. There's a track from the wheelbarrow up to where the wheelbarrow is found. So the state comes up with this theory that, oh, well, they murdered her out there and then put her in the wheelbarrow and then pushed her all the way back up near the house, but didn't put her in the house and lit her on fire. Because everybody does that. Right. Makes a lot of (laughs) sense. Uh, In the pitch black, by the way. Um, But so whatever, people have different opinions of it. The people that are locked into that theory. So now we find this DNA, we find out that, on the victim's socks, which one of her shoes was pulled off and her socks around her foot, they have strong, two very strong DNA profiles and a third possible profile uh, mixture on her socks and her foot. It's the one place you can find any physical evidence with crime scene and on the cuff of her pant, the parts of her that weren't burnt. So any logical person says, well, there's your killer. Well, then there's also no DNA evidence on the handles of the wheelbarrow. And I was just, I mean, just a half hour ago, somebody was, you know, this, the same group that's online was like, well, there's no DNA on the handle of the wheelbarrow. So that clearly means the killers are wearing gloves and the DNA on the socks. Well, that's got to be transfer. But, you know, she had just taken a shower, got dressed and like three male profiles that rule out every single male in her life must be trans. And it's, and it's the same thing that those prosecutors do. And it just, it just kind of like light bulb went off for me just, just today where it was like, that's what's happening here is. They already have a foregone conclusion. These two guys are guilty. So now I'm going to try to figure out a way to make this not not fuck with the with the scenario that I already came up with. So the only way to do that is, well, that DNA means nothing because it's transfer. The no DNA on the wheelbarrow handles means they were wearing gloves because it has to be Robert and Christian that did this. Instead mm. of the logical conclusion, which is it's the killer's DNA on her and they didn't push the wheelbarrow anywhere. They just found her. They, the wheelbarrow happened to be sitting there. Right. Yeah. Usually people, uh, I mean, I've never uh, murdered anybody, but if I did, I suppose I would probably put, drag them towards the woods as opposed to back to the house. Where, right. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm just saying, right. I don't, it seems a little bit logical to me. <laughs> and you know, before we get into Bone Valley, which I'm so excited to talk to you about, but the Michigan, of course, is no outlier. Um, you know, you have wrongful convictions in every mm-hmm. state in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, Hawaii's got its fair share, believe me. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, everyone likes to think of it as the tropical paradise that it is, but it, it, there's no, there's no safe haven for wrongful convictions. And you have a, you know, a famous one in Michigan of Temujin Kenzu, you know, who has been in for 36 years. I spoke to him uh, yesterday um, and he's, he was on my podcast. It's one of the more, uh, more powerful episodes. I know I said that about Tony Wright, but Temujin's case just really blows my mind. I mean, everything went wrong in that case. Literally like you can't, you can't do it worse than what was done to him. And on top of everything else, he was 400 miles away when the murder happened. And that's not, there's no way around that. So what the state mm-hmm. did is they came up with a theory since they knew that he was 400 miles away at two in the morning because his car had broken down. There were multiple witnesses that placed him. I think it was Port Huron. can't remember the exact location of the murder, but I know it's 400 miles away. 
And they know that he was back there at his dojo at noon the next day where people who didn't like him because they said he was, you know, arrogant or whatever, like were mm-hmm. willing to come forward a bunch of them and say he was here in karate class. Right. I mean, this right. Is a, so they had to find that 10 hours when he had to get if he left right after his car broke down. So the state came up with this theory. They actually put this in front of a jury and it worked. They said he went to a local airstrip found some pilot with a plane who was just hanging out waiting for him, right? At an airstrip that was obviously closed in the middle of night. Right. Paid him with money that he couldn't possibly have had. He lived on the margins in the trailer, was passing bad checks just to eat. But he somehow or other had money to pay this guy to not only fly him there and back, but also, and of course, wait for him, but also risk his pilot's license and everything else by not making any record of any flight. Right. Which obviously right. is a pretty, pretty big no, no with the FAA. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> so it's like this theory is like, you guys are serious right now. I just want to make sure we're all, we're all on the same page. And, and the sad fact of it is that like in so many other cases, except like there's another famous Michigan case of Larry Delisle where no crime was ever committed, but you know, that's the small minority of, of murder cases because it was accidental. But in Temujin's case, the actual killer was allowed to remain free. We don't know who it was. We may mm-hmm. never know who it was. It's a very real death, very tragic situation. Kid was shot, you know, with whatever that he was doing. It doesn't matter. He didn't deserve to die. But the actual, you know, when, when the authorities get this tunnel vision and they get this crazy combination of reverse incentives or perverse incentives and, like I said, tunnel vision and, and other things, and they, they just... They just lose sight of all of that, including public safety, because at the end of the day, everyone should want the actual person to be brought to justice if Mm -hmm. it's a violent crime. So um, but somehow or other, all of that is lost in this crazy zeal to just get, you know, that they say a body for a body. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's what I I I just keep coming back to in my mind. I don't understand. I don't like what has to happen and we don't have the answer to it but it's like what has yeah. to happen to a person to where they don't care right about taking away someone's life and leaving a murderer on the street right like how jaded do you have to get to get to that place in your life where that's okay where you'll yeah. where you'll fabric and, and somehow present in court which I'd love to see how the hell they even managed to present that theory in court without any evidence <laughs> of it actually happening but I've seen it a million times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know whether you know they come in their closing arguments well this is what happened I have zero evidence that this man got on a plane but we're going to present that but it anyway. could have happened yeah. so yeah <laughs> yeah just like the guy could have stumbled across the body in the field and right, decided exactly. that he would, wanted to you know explore necrophilia as a you know it's also and, yeah, and even right. that wouldn't and even that wouldn't have justified the thing it still never made right. any sense because they knew it was only one perpetrator by the way i was pulling up the little image of the book on my phone i realized i have one sitting right here there's the actual book and erica oh, this will be yeah. this will be on its way to you oh. <laughs> if you if you send me the that is so cute i love so, it yeah this is this is this one's yours this is your copy. oh thank you uh, also okay. really quick oh yeah it's so it's called so, oh it's, it's ahead, called sorry. i forgot i realized we're on the radio so no one can see it but it's called, oh yes it's, i want to put in a shameless plug it's called mm-hmm. lulu is a rhinoceros <laughs> absolutely um, I think I, I hope people will really get something out of it. But anyway, really I'm sorry, quick, Erica. What, no, you're fine. Really quick before we move on, you brought up the Temujin Kensu case. I hope I'm saying that right. I've never heard of this case before, and I've recently been binging Generation Y, just like old episodes, hadn't listened to them. You know, they have, they've been around for over 10 years, like 500, 600 episodes. 
I literally just before we got on this interview was listening to that episode about Temujin Kensu. Oh, good. So, oh, really? really weird coincidence. I got like chills on my spine when you said it, when you said the name. So I just had to bring up that weird coincidence. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, my weird coincidence is that I was just listening to Bone Valley, uh, which is a <laughs> podcast that was produced by um, Lava for Lava for Good. That's what your um, your company's called, right? Yep. Lava for Good. Yep. Lava for Good podcasts. Uh, and, um, it, it, this is because you guys do the wrongful conviction podcast, uh, false confessions and junk science. They're all kind of, I know you got Maggie Freeling on your team now. Um, and, and you just recently, you guys just recently formed this partnership with iHeartMedia. Correct. Yeah. We are, um, relatively new there. Um, it's several months old. I had the awesome experience of bringing, uh, Will Pearson, as uh, a newly anointed, I think his title is president of mm-hmm. uh the podcasting division and i brought him up to sing sing to visit an innocent man up there named paul cortez who has been featured on my show wrongful conviction and he was so moved by that experience that he, we did it again we brought his whole team uh or or you know several members of his team up to sing sing and did a whole tour of the prison and it was a really powerful experience and it meant a lot to me and of course even more so to the innocent guys that are up there sure that everyone would come up and and you know um, take their take their day and devote it uh, to, um, you know, to learning and and experiencing just a, a little sliver of the the madness that is maximum security prison in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sing Sing isn't the worst by any means, but it's still. I mean, it was built in eighteen twenty something. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so they've mm-hmm. expanded, and some of the wings are newer, but still the cells are, you know, five by nine feet. You know, in honor block and everywhere and um that means there's about 12 square feet of living space so if you think about that right that that's i got that directly from an official there you know because when you think about it it's the cell itself maybe 90 square feet but then you put a a, you know a steel cot in there Mm -hmm. two lockers a toilet and um a shelf and you have about 12 square feet to move around inside that environment and it's like what are we doing like why mm-hmm. why are we doing it it's it anyway don't get me started that's a whole nother podcast but um but you know it's interesting because bone valley um you know it's such a thrill for me to be a part of this project and such an honor to work with gilbert king um you know gilbert contacted me and told me about this case and asked me if I'd like to do a, a podcast on it with him. And I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, Gilbert, many people, your listeners are savvy listeners. So um, a lot of them will know that he won the Pulitzer Prize for the amazing book, Devil in the Grove, which ended up uh, resulting in the posthumous exoneration of the Groveland Four, four black kids who were, another case was four black kids being wrongfully convicted of the rape of a white woman uh in florida 70 years ago and they were all executed young teenage boys so um it's a it's a very sad and 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 disgusting drumbeat that we have in this country so um so anyway so yeah i'd like to say that it was my brilliant brainstorm but it definitely wasn't um gilbert did a deep dive into this case um as you know because you've listened to all 99 mm-hmm. percent right <laughs> <Just> yeah <laughs> <when> we're done <laughs> but the end is amazing it's worth waiting for and you know, and it starts with a bang. 
um, you know, even um, I would love it if you even want to play the first 60 seconds on your show. That would be amazing because I think the first 60 seconds and you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be a crazy ride right here. This is, you know. Yeah, it, it it leads it leads with the chorus. Like sometimes a great song leads with the chorus, like yeah. an old Beatles song. Yeah, it leads with the chorus. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It had me hooked. I mean, so it was interesting. Um, you know, we had uh, Janet Varney is on. Uh, she's our, our co-host on our Friday follow-ups on um, on Truth and Justice, and she had told me she's like, "Oh my god, you have to listen to Bone Valley. Like this podcast is incredible. Check it out. It's a, it's an infuriating story." Uh, and so I started listening to it. And then um, Erica mentioned to me that, you know, because we, we have, we're having Gilbert on next week. Uh, oh, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had booked with Gilbert to have Bo- Gilbert come on. So I'm like, oh, I got to keep listening to it. And there's like, now Jason's going to come on. I'm like, everybody that made this awesome podcast is coming on here. <laughs> so I'm super yeah. <laughs> e- excited to talk to you about it. So so Gilbert brought the, the case to you. Um, and it's so, I guess I'll, I'm going to, I'm trying to figure out how to kind of, bifurcate this but i think i'm I'll let gilbert talk about what that process was like for him if you mm-hmm. want to um talk a little bit about about this insane case and it kind of leads right into the pro you know the, the prosecutorial mental gymnastics they're willing to jump through to protect themselves certainly happens in this case yeah i mean i'm not going to give too much away here but even if i tried to i couldn't even begin to summarize the insanity because every episode is like peeling open the layer of a sinister onion you know because it's like right. it's just you you just sit there and your jaw drops each a little more every time you're like this cannot be it just can't be right like you you know when i watched making a murder i wanted to jump through the screen and strangle somebody when mm-hmm. they were framing brendan <laughs> dassey Right. I literally yeah. was like, if I, mm-hmm. I, I need that superpower. I need to be able to jump through the stream, shake somebody and go, stop, just stop right now. This yeah. cannot go on for another second. But anyway, um, you'll have that same feeling, I expect, when you listen to um, Bone Valley. And in a nutshell, it's the case of the murder of uh, Michelle Schofield, who was the wife of Leo Schofield, who was an aspiring rock star, very handsome young guy. Um, you know, who, I don't know what his musical talent was like back then, although you actually get to hear a little bit of it on the, on the show. And he's actually a talented guy. He wrote the theme song, right? He wrote the theme song to the show. Yeah. Yeah, It's really good. Mm -hmm. I mean, we wouldn't have used it if it wasn't, um, with all due respect. So yeah, but he, (laughs) what do you know about music? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) My side hustle. So, um, he, uh, I have been in the music business my whole life for most people won't know that, but it's, I do meet people these days who are like, Oh, you're in the music business. I'm like, Oh yeah. For you know, 43 years now. So anyway, um, so, so when Michelle who was 18 didn't show up to pick Leo, who was 21 at the time up from band practice, um, everyone started becoming more and more concerned because that wasn't like her at all. They were very much in love. And um, then a search was mounted. Eventually they found her car and about a mile away, they found her body in a swampy area that was frequented by a lot of local kids when they would go there for, I don't know, it was sort of like a, a party spot. Right. Um, and then the investigation just got, I mean, it, it, it got so off track pretty quickly too, but ultimately there was this prosecutor named John Aguero the same guy who framed Nelson Serrano, who's on death row in Texas now and um, in his mid eighties and as innocent as could be is another one of those cases where Nelson was in Atlanta when the murder happened in Florida, but they found some way around that. Mm-hmm. So 
this guy is a notorious, was a notorious prosecutor. He's not around anymore, which um, probably citizens of Florida are a lot safer without this guy around. But he wore an electric tie clasp on his tie chair. Sorry, he wore an electric chair tie clasp. Mm-hmm. And start with this. He originally was going to charge Leo's father with the crime, right? And Leo's father was the one who found the body. And then he said he had a premonition from God that directed him to where the body was. Well, the body wasn't that, it wasn't really hidden. Right. Um, it was a place where you might well look, especially when they knew where the car was, but they made a big deal out of this. And so they started there and they were going to charge him. And then they were like, Leo, you could take the fall and then we'll let your dad off the hook. They were like horse trading, right? Yeah. And so Leo refused to take the fall because he had nothing to do with it. And, you know, he wanted them to go find who killed his wife. That's Mm -hmm. what he wanted, which would seem to be a reasonable thing to ask. And I mean, I hope no one ever has to experience what Leo went through. But if they do, I hope someone goes out and actually mounts a real investigation. And the fact is, the actual killer was literally right under their noses. It was a guy who they had arrested recently for another murder in the area but somehow Mm -hmm. or other he skated on those charges and he lived right down the street pretty much and he was a guy who had a very hyper violent criminal record going back to when he was 11 and you'll learn in episode five which is called bam bam you know that the way he was treated as a child i shouldn't say treated the way he was abused as a child is so horrific that it's a miracle he didn't kill 100 people as far Mm -hmm. as i'm concerned but in our podcast gilbert um, and his incredible co-host, Kelsey, they prove that this murder was committed by Jeremy Scott. And not only that this murder was committed by Jeremy Scott, but that he committed uh, three other murders uh, in the same area called Bone Valley around the same time, uh, one of which he's in prison for life for now. And on our show, you will hear him confess for the first time in details that only he could know. Right. And you learn that his fingerprints were found in the car where she was murdered, but the state of Florida is like, yeah, there's nothing to see here. We're, we're just going to keep it moving, keep Leo in there. And, uh, he's been in for ironically, this almost the same amount of time as Demogen, who we just talked about uh, 35 years. And, and, you know, on top of all that, and then I'll get off this bone Valley soapbox, but he's the head of the church choir in prison. He's loved by the other incarcerated men and the guard. He's loved by his beautiful wife and his beautiful daughter, who he has raised from inside the walls as best as anyone possibly could. She's now 22. They adopted her as a baby. She was an unwanted child. Um, And he's always got a stable home life to go to. He's a brilliant guy. He's no threat to anyone under any circumstances. And yet, you know, that it comes back to the same melancholy thing, right? Like we're sitting here and then we're going to go on about our day. And he's sitting in a, you know, maximum security prison in Florida right now, even with all this evidence. Mm-hmm. And one of the most frustrating, there's so much frustrating about this case. I mean, literally, I mean, just wanted to bang my head against the day, especially working in this space. And it's like, God damn it. There's, there's so many good people, Gilbert forging the way along with 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 Leo's attorneys and stuff that are just trying to find the fucking truth and you've got these prosecutors that are fight the parole hearing I almost lost I was at the gym this morning 
listening to the parole hearing and almost lost my fucking mind because I was like, you, these prosecutors, you don't even have to admit you did anything wrong. You could have just stayed in your office and at least let this guy go home who you know, you know is innocent. There's no way they don't know that he's, that he's innocent. But they take the extra effort to try to prevent even that from happening. It's just there's something just sadistic about that. It's sadistic, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. It's it, there's a that's a good word for it. And um, you know, the good news is that if you could call it, I mean, it's very little good news in this situation. But attention is being paid to this podcast and to this case. New attention from people in mm-hmm. positions of power that we're hearing from directly and indirectly in Florida, in the state of Florida. Does that mean he's going to get out? Well, we certainly hope so. And we hope that he may get out as soon as March. If we're able to get a positive ruling by the parole board, if he's able to get a positive ruling from the parole board, which if anyone deserves, it's him. I mean, he has been such an incredible, you know, inspiring force for good. He's got a a handful of, of college degrees while he's been in locked up. Yeah, and that's a handful more than I've got. And it's like, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's really remarkable. I mean, you can't do it better than he's done it under the most incredibly um, difficult, is not even the right word. I'm struggling to find the right mm-hmm. word for a situation mm-hmm. that he's in. I mean, the poor guy went to prison when he was 21. He's now, you know, in his mid-50s, you know? So it's like he hasn't breathed a breath of fresh air in that long, and yet, he aspires to inspire and he takes actions in his daily life inside those walls to help other people day in and day out. It's like, we got the wrong people in prison in this country, not just the wrong people. I mean, in this case, the actual guy is in prison as well, but it's for a murder he committed after he should have been caught and tried and convicted for this murder. Right. And again, this freaking case, Bob and Erica, this case came with instructions. Right. You could have you could have organized a group of third graders and said, listen, (laughs) kids, here's today's assignment. Here's this guy who lives down the road. We arrested him for murder a few months ago on another case. He skated on that somehow. He's got the rap sheet, the thing like this. He's also I mean, and that's just the beginning. And they would have been like, uh, maybe you should arrest the guy down the street. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, right. I mean, that would it, I mean, and like, oh, by the way, his fingerprints are on the car that she was abducted from. In the car. Yep. Yeah. In, in the, the car. Freaking car. Yep. That didn't. That didn't come out till seventeen years later because they didn't bother to look. Right. Know? But it's it exactly what you were saying. They, they they had the print. They just didn't. Right. This is you know I think this is before Aphis, but they could they like you said maybe we should compare it to this guy. He right. lives right who's, there. Like like literally, if you just sat there and said, "Who's the nearest person to this scene?" That's ever been charged with a murder uh, under somewhat similar circumstances, Mm -hmm. you know, and you would have come up with his name. He would have been ding, 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 ding. Here's the guy. He lived less than a mile. Yeah. From where the, the, from where I think the car was found. Um, It was a car or the body, but he's right in that area. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. nothing. He's he's down the freaking street and yet they couldn't piece that together somehow. These geniuses. And ultimately they, you well, went and arrested Leo because they wanted to clear up the case, I guess. And, you know, it's the easiest thing is generally dependent either on the person 
who's closest to the other person or the person who um, finds the body. And then they mounted this mm-hmm. incredible character assassination campaign against Leo. And I think ultimately the jury convicted him. I don't think, I mean, I can't read minds even today, but I certainly can't read them 35 years ago. But I think they convicted him not because they thought the evidence showed that he did it, but because they didn't like him. You know, they heard all yeah, these people saying all bad the things about him. Yeah. Oh yeah. They didn't like him. He had long hair. You know, he was a rock star looking dude, you know, like in, in a small town in Florida. Well, and he had that, um, uh, that, that Northeastern accent down in Florida. Cause he was from, mm-hmm. was it Massachusetts? Ma- Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, he had that, that new England accent that, you know, was different. There was just, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, this, the, I'm not going to give listen, listen, you people listening, go listen to this damn podcast this week. So next week when Gilbert comes on, we can spoil the shit out of all of it. So this is your, you know, <laughs> this is your warning, <laughs> but I, but I can tell you that the prosecutors that are still fighting because Jason already said it, the prosecutors are still fighting to keep Leo in prison that fought to stop him from getting parole already know, despite the stuff that with the fingerprints and him living right there and the murders, but he also, Jeremy also said that he did it. He yeah. confessed. He just, doesn't know Leo. Yeah. He has no re- He's confessed over and over again now. That he did it and give an incredible detail. And they still, I mean, that's the one thing, you know, when we got Ed Eights out through a parole process based on innocence, the one thing like we were able to to mount enough evidence that when it came time for his parole and we talked talk to the, I personally talked to the district attorneys that were, you know, in that position for Smith County, Texas. And they said, we're not going to, we're not going to oppose his parole. They, you know, they they just kind of took a neutral standpoint. They're like, they're like, normally we would oppose it. We're not going to go so far as to write a letter saying that he should be paroled, but we're going to let this. We're just going to let the process play itself out um, because that was a great punt for them, and that's what blows me with this case. Because for the for Smith County, they're like, well, now he's out, so like, you know, that's good. He's home if he didn't do it, but we didn't have to say that he wasn't guilty, and we didn't have to have any part in that. And this one, hearing that hearing that prosecutor come in and argue with lies uh, to try to keep him in when they knew the guy whose fingerprints were in the car had already confessed to the crime is it'll make your head explode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope I hope it does. I, I hope people get really activated around not just this case, but around you know this cause. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I always tell people, make noise. You know, Mm -hmm. many of the people listening are probably listening, not in in, in no small part because they know someone or they love someone who's in a similar situation. And my advice is make freaking noise. I also want to tell your audience, and I, because I say this every chance someone puts a microphone in front of me, serve on juries, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. If you're listening to Bob and Erica on the regular, then you're woke. And I mean that in the best possible way. You're, you're woke to this particular problem and this um, or these problems in our criminal legal system. And we need you to serve on juries because you may well hold one of these people's lives in your hand. And mm-hmm. don't forget that it could be a life of someone you love that will, you know, this, this impacts. It could be you. I mean, anyone can be subject to these um crazy this crazy sort of twist of fate where somebody mm-hmm. falsely accuses you of a crime you didn't commit 
And so serve on juries and vote in local elections. DA mm-hmm. races are so important. Judge races are so important and not that many people vote in them. So your vote goes a long way in these local races. So I know, you know, it's in a position you got to, you know, take a half a day off from work, whatever you got to do, do it because we're not, the system, the system is not going to change itself. It is mm-hmm. not, it is not going to fix itself. It's not going to write itself. People that are willing to do the things that Bob's talking about are going to keep doing them unless we are able to, you know, remove them from power um, or unless we can somehow down the road establish a system where prosecutors don't have absolute immunity because right mm-hmm. now they do. Mm-hmm. So, and, and once, if they lose their moral compass and then they also have that shield, then there's literally nothing to stop them from framing people again and again. Right. And that's, you know, we as, as outsiders are the, are the, the one check and balance that they have. And I want people to understand that, that, that us fighting and exposing and making the noise that Jason's talking about is, is it's all we got because, you know, they, they said they have this immunity that, so that the system they work inside of isn't going to do anything about them. So it's us to up to us to, to make that happen and to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. And, and Jason, if I, if I, if I had, maybe Erica, we should put this together and have, we have t-shirts that say, uh, the, the outs that we're outsiders, but uh, we need to come mm-hmm. up with like an outsider award. And if we had one, Jason, you would you you would you would have one on your closet shelf behind you, because uh, I think you're the the ultimate outsider that has yes. made so much <laughs> change and has done so much good in the space. Um, so keep keep Definitely. fighting the, the good fight, and uh, appreciate you coming on and all the hard work that you do, and and you have all the respect in the world for me. And thank you so much. And one last thing I just want to share with everybody is if I hope it never happens to you, but if you do get brought downtown, as the cliche says, and even if they tell you you're a witness or you're a suspect or you're whatever they tell you, don't say a fucking thing. Just Mm -hmm. the only words I'm begging you, the only words you should say is I'm Erica and I want a lawyer. And then stop talking because nothing you say, no one's ever talked themselves out of that situation. And they're allowed to lie to you in that environment. Right. All over the country, they're allowed to lie. Not in the rest of the Western world, but in America, they can lie to you. Yeah. You should not trust your police officers for that reason. Yeah. Don't speak to them. Just don't Mm -hmm. speak to You've got to wait until you get a lawyer there because you wouldn't do surgery on yourself. And I don't, and this is the, this is the equivalent and your chance Mm -hmm. of survival Mm -hmm. is about the same. So, and don't, take a polygraph test <laughs> yeah. most people don't realize that that is a most and again most people waive their miranda rights don't waive your miranda rights okay 85 percent of people do i think it's probably even higher with people who are actually innocent because they think they have nothing to hide don't mm-hmm. waive your miranda rights don't say anything other than your name and i want a lawyer and don't take a polygraph because nothing good can come out of that because even if you pass it they'll lie and tell you you failed it's not yeah. admissible in court anyway because it's not accurate right. so it's just another thing that they use in order to be able to sort of manipulate, you know, put you in this quicksand that you won't be able to get out of. So those are just mm-hmm. some simple, simple tips. I'm not a lawyer, but I can tell you that those will, those will take those words to heart there. And we've been preaching the same thing for years with a little quick, funny story. My, uh, at the time was 11 year old. I preach it into my kids so much that he got in trouble in school and we live in a small town. So I know the principal and the the principal called me one day and said, Parker's in the office and, and he got in trouble on the playground and, and we wanted to uh, ask him some questions about what happened. And he said, I want my dad and I want a lawyer. 
<laughs> That's great. I think he was oh nine or God. ten at the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Said, that Perfect. kid's going places. Well. He's yeah. going places. Yeah. I love it. What a, that's a great story. Yeah. And um, with that, his name is Jason Flom. This podcast is called Bone Valley. Please check it out. It it will definitely be a bit. Listen, you got a holiday weekend coming up. Are you wrapping gifts? It's nine episodes, and you're not going to want to put it down. Check out Bone Valley. It will be your next big true crime binge. And again, Jason, thank you so much for putting this podcast together, doing the work you do, and joining us today. And thanks for having me on. And when you're done with Bone Valley, don't forget to check out Wrongful Conviction. And Bob, keep fighting the good fight, and we'll keep getting people out until hopefully we can turn this ship around. Amen. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Kelly Barron's Brink. Our production manager and co-host is Erica Cantor. Music and show artwork was created by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com and episode artwork is created by John Hayes. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is truecrimebinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. Make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. And thank you so much for listening. And make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.